Hello everybody, Kristen Brown here with SweetEmpowerment.com. Today I'm bringing to you an interview with somebody that I have been wanting to interview for quite some time, but being that we are in different geographical locations in the United States, it's been a little doing, but finally we are having the opportunity to sit down together. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Summer Osborne. Summer Osborne is an award-winning American singer-songwriter who entertains audiences throughout the United States and Canada and soon to be Mexico with her magical brand of melodic and lyrically potent genre-jumping performances. She masterfully amalgamates the human condition, spirituality, truth, love, and healing. When Summer's Kaleidoscope of music is infused with her charismatic stage presence and naturally humorous personality, which I can vouch for. Every show leaves the listener wanting more. Summer, thank you so much for being here today. It's so good to be here. Yay. So I just want to jump right in because we just have so much to cover and I really want people to understand the essence of you and what your work is in the world because I find it to be so impactful and so powerful and I know for me that even I can listen to your music over again or or watch you speak and each time even being your friend I am fully drawn into what I call the Summer Osborne experience. (laughs) (laughs) She laughs every time I say that because she really is a whole experience. Summer really embodies what I feel to be love on this planet and her message is so powerful so i just want to jump right in summer and say that i know you started in your music career i guess i should say at the tender age of four so how did that get going well my mother is a music teacher so i was born and bred to, to be a singer she she had that planned out for me but i remember her sitting me on top of the piano at our little country church because the people in the back couldn't see me and handed me a microphone. And I don't know if it was because uh, she trained me <laughs> to be a singer or or if it was I was too young to know fear in that, mm-hmm. I guess. But I remember the moment she handed me a microphone and it started my stage addiction. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say stage addiction, was it that you were up there and you felt at that tender, tender, tender little young age that this is something I want to do. Yes. I pr- you- and I couldn't verbalize it like that, obviously, probably at four. But I knew I am a singer. Yeah. And so I just knew. That's what I do. I am a singer. Yeah. Right? So how would you say that she groomed you? Was it just that you were around oh. music or was she like stage momming? Yeah. No, 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 no. She wasn't a stage mom. It was just music all the time. And, and she would sing with me. We would sing in the car. I remember sitting in a car seat. And she'd reach back and hold my hand and we'd just sing songs. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Summer, would you say that delivering your message to the world in the way that you do it with such a embodiment of love and insight and growth and healing, would you say that that is your calling? And did you feel that calling at that age? Well, absolutely, that is my calling. Uh, whether or not I felt it at age four... I'm not sure. I do remember when I was six, six or seven, sitting in my bedroom on my bed, cross-legged. I was supposed to be sleeping. 
looking out the window, drafting a letter to the President of the United States. You're kidding. About how to um, avoid a World War III. Like, I was really worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, which it is just, you know, embodied peace and love, and we need to pay attention to others. And this is not what we want. This See, is what you want. I remember, I remember thinking those thoughts at six years old. Right, I didn't start writing my own music until I was in high school, and then it was uh, interestingly enough very Christian, contemporary Christian based because mm-hmm. I was involved in my church, mm-hmm. uh, and since then has evolved into something else. But I remember the moment that I realized, oh, this is what this is supposed to be for. This is what the music is supposed to be for, right? Because when I started actually playing out my own. Um, original music was full time was about 2010 and I was looking to make a living being a musician and my music always had these little traces these little innuendos and these little this evidence of um, peace love healing growth something that came from something much larger than Mm -hmm. me like I didn't have to work at it this stuff just fell out right in the shower and I was like boy that's brilliant where'd that come from Mm -hmm. summer you know but I remember sitting on the back of my van I wrote the out I had recorded and gotten the master tracks for my album as I am and what age was this this was in 2010 so where are we years ago eight years ago so 32 I was 32 it was in Chicago we were still 32 I am. I will perpetually be 24. Yeah, she's. And, that does not mean she's 40. Don't even get that don't, idea. Do, don't get it twisted. And I'm not 50. No. Just saying. And so um, our, we were on the road. So I was in Chicago and I had to send my tracks in to get uh, duplicated. I had the back of the van open, the band van. It's not a soccer mom van. It is a band Band van. It's very different. Two very different things. I sat on the back of my band van and I put the, the tracks in order. And once I saw it worked out like that on paper in front of me, it caught my breath. I was like, oh, oh, there's a purpose for this summer. This is why you're doing this. It's not just to be a singer. It's not just to make a living Mm -hmm. doing this monetarily for a living, which seemed cool. This is way cooler when you have a purpose, right? I realized in that moment, oh, this has a purpose, like a a focused purpose. Get your poop in a group, Summer. This is it. (laughs) You know? So. So when we talk about that, you know, you started off as a little girl thinking very deeply. And in conversations that we have, you said you were surrounded by three key p- players in your life that helped helped you, you know, broaden your perspective of life. And that was your mother, your grand, your grandmother, and your father. And you said your father promoted... Uh, critical thinking. Critical he made me thinking. a critical thinker, an observer. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in that critical thinking, you know, at six, six years old is such a young age to be drafting a letter to the president about peace and love oh listen i drafted letters for everything <laughs> i was like i was a letter writing fool but you you get what i'm saying though for yeah. you know not oh, your typical six-year-old wants to be playing with their barbies or the 
you know, the neighbors or whatever. But there you were drafting letters on your bed. So I can see that you were, something was starting to take root in you, even at that Mm -hmm. age. And I do believe our purpose here, can we call it a calling? Yeah. Okay. Our purpose or calling, I believe, shows up early because I do believe we as souls come here with certain maybe gifts and talents. Would that be a right word? Absolutely. Or spiritual gifts is what Mm -hmm. I really like. And they start to show up young. And a lot of times our adults in our life don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. But were yours recognized? Did your parents see and and help you cultivate those gifts? I believe so. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my, like I said, my dad made me a critical thinker. And these are things that I can look back now and recognize, right? I, I didn't know that they were happening in that moment. Right. I couldn't verbalize it then. I can look back now and be like, I can trace it back. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's what I do as an artist. I, I observe the world and my relationship to everything in it. And I make mm-hmm. connections. So I can look back and make these connections. And my, my father, and he is a very critical thinker. He's a big observer. That's what he does. He's very quiet. He's introvert, but he he just sits back and he watches and he makes connections, right? So um, he taught me how to be that way. My mother found her niche in her job. She was an elementary music teacher. She taught children how to sing, right? And she made these big, she did these big productions with kids dancing and singing and stuff. And and I loved to watch her work. She was in complete joy all of the time, almost childlike, a little naive sometimes it seemed like because, because she was, she was just in joy, mm-hmm. like in joy. And my grandmother was, uh, loved history and geography. So she would talk to me about what the world was like. So then, you know, I, I come from a very small town, Vandalia, Illinois is a very small farming community where culture is a throat swab at the small town clinic. Hmm. Right? So <laughs> that's what culture is. But she made me aware of the world. Like right. there was something outside of our little town. And I remember also wanting to be out there in it. Mm-hmm. Because my, my mother would say, she would look at, my sister and I are very different. She, My little sister is my heart and we love each other very much, but we are very different. Mm-hmm. I was very extroverted. My sister was very introverted. And I remember at like, I was like nine years old, so my sister would have been seven. And she, my mom would put her hand on top of my head and say, this one, this one's going to, she'd, she'd pack up and go to Europe just to travel right now if she could. And this one, and she'd put her hand on my little sister's head and said, this one will never leave my side. Hmm. You know. And in fact, when I graduated from high school, my graduation gift was luggage. Because, <laughs> because they knew I was going. They knew you were My little sister... When she graduated from high school, she got her bedroom remodeled because they knew she wasn't going anywhere. See, I love that. I love that your parents were very tuned into who their children were. Oh, yeah. But even so, with them being tuned in, you and I have talked before that you started your path and you decided that, you, correct me here, that you couldn't, this was not the way that you were going to go, so you needed to go to college. How did that work out? Yeah, well, from like become four, a teacher. four to... Eight-ish, we'll say four to eight, nine. I knew I was gonna. I was a singer. It just was. It wasn't that I was gonna be a singer. I was. You already a were singer, one, mm-hmm. right? But about ten to twelve years old is when those limitations mm. start to form and insecurities start to form. And so some. So then it kind of turned into a well, maybe because I don't because this little voice said, "Well, how are you gonna do that?" And I didn't know. 
I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> right? And then you get to, you know, 13, 14, 15, and this, the limitations get larger. I, I look and observe to see how the world works, and I thought, I don't know how to do it. And one day I woke up, and it was a no. You mm, can't. Interesting. Which was, you know. Do you think there was any turning point, like something actually happened, or was it just a combined knowledge of what the society or what the world was telling you or what your peers were saying or just it's a was com- there a turning point yeah yeah it was combined um because i did go to college because i think a lot of us can be talked out of our past oh, yeah. and our calling yeah based but the on... universe would not allow it yeah. let me just say i didn't have a playbook in front of me to tell me how it's going to be a superstar right, right right but i did have a course book in front of me to tell me how to be a teacher Mm-hmm. because I thought I'll be a teacher like my mom because I saw that joy that it gave her and, and you, I thought it would do that for me and didn't you also see that oh this this is step one step two like yes I could I could connect A to B to C to D yeah, yeah. I sat in my room in junior high and I had my entire high school and college coursework already on paper planned out so I would be a teacher because I, I like efficiency and functionality and I want to know how it's going to go I went to college and nothing went as planned. Mm. Nothing. Not one thing. And it was like the universe was trying to get me back on the track. And I was pushing back just as hard because I had this idea that I needed to overcome these obstacles so I could succeed. Because if I don't graduate, if I'm not a teacher, then I have failed. Mm. Right? Mm. So I'm pushing just as hard because I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. It was this belief I had. So where was the turning point? Where was the turning point of letting go of school and saying, this well, is just not doing it for me? <laughs> well, and you know what? I, I liked being a teacher. Mm-hmm. I was good at it. and but, but I knew I couldn't be there to retirement. I knew that. So in that time, I'd always wanted to play the guitar. I played piano since I was very young, by ear, all up and down. Could write anything, play anything. But I wanted to play the guitar. And you were self-taught. Yes. So Play by ear. Yeah, that every... comes from my grandfather. My grandfather... Play, could play up and down the keyboard by okay, ear. Okay, so even though mom Couldn't, was a movie, music teacher, she did I not. I tried to take lessons, but it oh, didn't yeah, tell stick. Oh, yeah, tell about that story, because that's <laughs> awesome. Like, what was that? You had got lessons, and then the music. Yeah, I. I okay, there's a funny uh, story here. I know there is. I had I'd taken less. I had probably four different teachers in five years, because they just couldn't teach me how to read the notes on the page. That's right. That's what it was. And yeah. I just kept playing. I just kept making stuff up, right? So <laughs> I remember um, my the, the best piano teacher I had. You're a musical anarchist. That I am a musical <laughs> anarchist. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it that way. I, I am not doing it yeah. that way. But um, the best music teacher, piano teacher I ever had, I was assigned to play. She gave me this book of top 40 songs because she thought that it would pique my interest, right? Because of the songs on the radio. Well, I know the songs on the radio. So I would try, I could, you know, my mom would play some of it and I would hear it and I would just play it. But I hadn't, it was Saving All My Love For You by Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't worked out the ending that was written in the book yet. Mm-hmm. And I came to my lesson and I started playing it and I was like, uh, 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 what do I do? What do I do? So I get to the end and I just make it up, make up the end. And I just, I don't even make eye contact. I'm like, she's going to know, she's going to know I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, and she looked at me and she's like, did, did you write that? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. Still not making eye contact because I'm. I felt like I did something wrong because right, I'd always been felt. Right. I'd always been, you know, made made to feel like you read the notes on the page somewhere. Sure. 
And she was like, that was awesome. I didn't know you could do that. So from then on, as we worked on some of the written stuff, she let me have free reign with improvisation. And so... That's awesome. So that kind of honed that skill. But I always wanted to play the guitar. My mother played the guitar. And she would try to teach me. And I would be like, no, it hurts my hand. I can't. My finger's going to bleed. It hurts. I can't do it. I can't do it. So one day, and I was like 25, maybe, she just handed me a guitar and was like, listen, just take this. You'll figure it out. Like she was done trying to teach me. She was like, here, just take it. And it sat in my living room for months. And one day I woke up going, I think I can do that. And I picked it up and I started finger picking. That's how I started. I didn't strum. Mm -hmm. Couldn't strum to save my life. But I played the piano. So finger dexterity wasn't hard for me. So I did finger picking and I figured it out. And I started writing songs. I started writing songs and I started taking my guitar to friends' houses and stuff. And I was teaching one day and I got a phone call in my classroom from my friends who said, get your stuff together, Summer. We booked you a CD release. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's great that you come over to our house and stuff to play for us. We love it. <laughs> but what if you died in a car accident tomorrow and all that went with you? Wow. Like, we need, you need a CD. And I was like, well, that is morbid, but I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, the, the, t- cl- the school I was working at had gotten new Macs. At that time, they were new. And it had this new program on it called GarageBand. <laughs> So I, I would, and the teacher called me and was like, you're the only one I know who who has a guitar that brings, because I would bring my guitar to school every day by that point. He's like, you know, you have an instrument, come up here. I want to try this program. And the recording is like horrible. It is so bad. We had adapters and stuff and not the right microphones. We were just playing with the, with the program. So when my friends found out that I was recording, they're like, make a CD. And so we, (laughs) we did. And, and. Um, my mom bought all the blank CDs and the labels and this little label pusher thing that like put labels on CDs and the CD cases. And my other friend worked at Kinko's. And so he helped me make the insert. Like all these people came together and just handed me all the stuff to do Mm -hmm. it. Handed me a spot to play, handed me all the equipment to do it, handed me all the CDs and stuff to make them. I made a hundred CDs and the first time I ever played out was a CD release. That's backwards. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I, I sold out over a hundred people showed up to my CD release. Were you still teaching at this time? I was. Okay. But the turning, that's when I started, I realized I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. This is something I can do. Mm. All of a sudden it just opened up because then I played there and then somebody else called me and said, we want you to play here. Because I have a niche because I'm a lesbian, mm-hmm. right? And I go to the lesbian bars and I'm in the lesbian community in St. Louis at that mm-hmm. time. So that is definitely a niche. And I was very political. Ani DeFranco was a, was a big influence as well. What's so her name again? Ani DeFranco. Anita? Ani. Ani Franco. DeFranco. DeFranco, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, you're very white heterosexual. <laughs> Like you, I have no idea who that is, but I'm going to find there's out. There's going to be some people out there because be like, I like, how do you not know who? Anybody but, um, who's connected to summary so. is pretty cool. So I'm just saying, I'm going to Google that But I was stuff. very, I was your typical campy, sarcastic, politically driven lesbian with a guitar. Mm. And that's what I did. And so I started playing at Pride Fest mm. and then other Pride Fest. Things just literally fell into my lap. So, do you feel like your music has morphed over time? Because Absolutely. Back then you were, yeah. So you were saying oh it was gosh. very political, and it was very, you know, like you said, lesbian. Go 
raw or is that yeah, right? Is a that sarcastic right? political. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, just a little bit more obnoxious maybe. Would yeah. that be the right word? Yeah. But then. It, some. The some me- was very deep. It was yeah. all very deep. It had double entendres had that, and. Yeah. Um, you always had that deep root. But mm-hmm. the music that you produce now. Now it has a very, very. Well, over the time I honed my craft in channeling what was co- information coming yeah, to me. And, and that sounds so crazy. But that's what artists do. It's That's not what crazy. all artists do. We tap into something much bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And we let the creativity flow. Right. And that is spirituality that yes. is channeling that is god that is source that is all of that so tell me what is your definition of spirituality hmm that's a great question well spirituality from the latin spiritus to breathe what gives you breath to expand and to release its purpose it it can be interchanged spirituality can be interchangeable with life mm-hmm. with god with change Mm -hmm. so in the mid mid to late 20th century the goal for humans was to get a job have a car like a pick a fence right and that's it that was the basic goal and now now we live in a time that anything you could possibly think of exists It just does. We're making aortas with 3D printers and cars. Mm -hmm. So now in our time, we have more cars than we have drivers. 13% of home buyers are buying their second home. When you don't have room for your stuff, what do you do? You rent storage space. It's a lucrative Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And when you don't want your stuff anymore, you throw it away. And the U.S. spends more on trash bags than a third of the world spends on everything. We spend more on our trash bags receptacles mm-hmm. then the third of the world spends on everything and and the the paradox of this abundance because because our standard of living over time from our grandparents to our parents to now has been steadily raising from decade to decade to decade but our personal satisfaction has not mm-hmm. budged so what's missing a purpose mm-hmm. we have all this stuff mm-hmm. we have all this stuff you know, you, you can't, it's like, I need a shirt. Okay, we well have 85 places you could go to get a shirt. You walk into that place, there's 85 different styles and colors and everything. We have choice. We have, we have choice. Have you noticed that once you, you as in you, you as in me, you as in a person, finds actually a purpose to contribute to humanity that just stuff ceases to matter? Mm, yeah that's yeah. the magic sauce yeah when you find when you when you connect with your purpose yeah which is spirituality which is your calling which is all of those things what has been the scariest part of this journey for you <laughs> the scariest part of this journey what freezes at this you? point like right now it can be whatever but i mean just along the way what like along the way roadblocks is probably not trusting myself mm-hmm. i wasn't i i was i was the firstborn. Not trusting so your intuition? Intuition, or, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And what's best for myself. Worried that I was going to make the wrong choice. Mm. I was the first boy born of three. There is a psychology to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm also a Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also life path seven, so I'm like the intellect. I'm the experimental, uh, the, the scientist, mm-hmm. um, obser- observer. Sure. So, But I had this thing that I just couldn't trust myself. I had to wait for someone to tell me what to do, the right thing to do, because if I did the wrong thing, I would fail or get in mm-hmm. trouble or you know it was is really it took a minute to mm-hmm. really really listen to my inner being 
my highest self. And how self. did you tap into that? How did you... Quite by accident, yeah. I'll tell you that. Tell me how that came about. Well, I had a spiritual awakening, a complete turning point. I, like I said, I'm Leo. I was a stereotypical Leo. I'm well-read, well-spoken. I have graphs and charts, data, statistics. I was educated. I knew, I could sit down and debate mm -hmm. what the Bible really says about homosexuality mm -hmm. or the bureaucracy of urban education, you know? I knew my stuff and I would bestow kindness if I thought you deserved it. But I had a sharp, slivered tongue mm -hmm. if I thought it was necessary, mm -hmm. right? And I could, <laughs> I could make things make sense. And I had data to back it up. Mm -hmm. You know, I could gotcha. cite my source. So how did right? you go from very so, analytical minded well, to... I, well, I was still very emotional. The, I flow. was analytical. But I, I, I brought in the analytical so I could back myself up. But, I, but then my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. That didn't make sense to me. Mm -mm. I had the statistics. There's, there's no I knew the numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew the numbers. Didn't make sense to me. Mm. And when she died, everything changed like mm. I I fell into a deep depression mm -hmm. deep depression I put all the music away I shut it up in the studio and didn't play or write or sing or perform for a year mm. I was gonna get I was giving it up because if she wasn't here to experience it with mm. me because she was my biggest fan like every year for my birthday I would get birthday cards and it'd say to my superstar mm. August 2nd whatever year it was she would tell me all the time, you're going to make it, girl. You're going to be a comedian or a so writer you, or a performer. You know. So your support was gone. Your, Absolutely. your cheerleader was yeah, gone. Yeah, totally. The reason why I was doing this mm. at all was gone. I did not know how to exist in a world without her. Yeah. So I shut it up. I was like, I'm not doing it. And I swirled the drain. Like I felt I swirled. I was waiting to die. Mm. I literally laid in bed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the energy to actually physically do something to myself. I just knew that one day I was going to go to sleep and I wouldn't wake up and that would be okay. Mm -hmm. But then I was laying in bed for, I don't know how long at this point, my, I wasn't eating anything or whatever. My muscles had atrophied and I, there was a book that I picked up and I don't know where it was exactly. I don't know if it was on the nightstand or on the floor. Or, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I don't know why I picked it up at all because it was conversations with God. By mm -hmm. Neil Donald Walsh. Absolutely. And if there was a God, I sure didn't want to have a conversation with him. Right? <laughs> Not at that point. You were no, pretty pissed. I was pretty mad at God. Yeah. So I, but for some reason I did. I opened it up and I read the whole thing in one setting. Now, I couldn't tell you now exactly what it was in that book that cracked my head mm -hmm. wide open. It doesn't matter. All I remember is sitting on the floor between my bathroom and my closet, crying and laughing all at the same time saying over and over again, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. I know nothing. For me, that was the most relieving, most liberating thought to embody, not just as mentally know, that's totally different, to embody that I'd ever experienced. Because prior to, I told, I was your stereotypical Leo. I thought I had to know. Yes. But if every, if, if there, if things are, if, if this is uncertain, if I know nothing, uncertainty means that anything is possible. Right. Anything is possible. Don't you feel that <clears throat> when we've reached that state of bottom, a lot of people aren't open to shifts in perception and new ideas and knowledge and wisdom? 
until mm-hmm. something really happens to where we are almost forced. Yeah, I because think because you're at bottom, there is I'd nowhere say, else say, to look I was at the but bottom up. Of, yeah, I was at the bottom of my well. Yeah, and I think Source knew that was the only way. They need my bare bones. Yeah, my or my hollow bones to to shift everything. Summer, what message would you tell young Summer now? Mm. The young Summer, just. You know, between, I don't know, prior to mom's death, just maybe middle school. Trust the process. Surrender and Mm. trust. That is so hard. I'm getting better at it. I think surrender is a huge practice, and Mm -hmm. it's my mantra, Mm -hmm. and it's what got me through Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of times is let go, let God. I'm just going to, for the audience that's listening, surrender is not to um, give up. It is to give over. Mm -hmm. It is to hand over control and allow yourself to be guided and right. to let the universe do its work for you and with you. Yeah. And trust. Trust yeah. was a big thing too because you know you always hope. But hope is a passive emotion. Mm. Hope is something where you're just looking around the cor- looking around the curtain to see if anything's changed, which means you didn't believe it was going to change anyway. Mm. Hope is a passive emotion, but trust is an active emotion. Trust is a knowing. Mm. And it's not a knowing of what. That's what I thought I needed to know. The exact what. The statistics. I wanted the hard facts and the numbers. I don't have to trust exactly what. Well, I think a lot I of just... people find trust in facts. Well, but then it, we realize. But, then, but that's the thing. Right and wrong, yeah. good and bad. Yeah. These, are qual- this, these are words made yeah. up by people that we attach qualities to. Qualities yeah. that change over time and space, culture to culture, generation to generation. Yeah. And so truth is fluid. Truth changes continuously from person to person. F- f- over time, it's, it's not something that's finite. It's not something that stays true. Mm. So how do you think after your mother's transition that your music changed? Was that when, could you see your path just kind of flip? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Because the year after, after I had my spiritual awakening, I was walking down the hallway. And I still hadn't picked up the instruments yet. But I was walking down the hallway and I stopped. At so the let door. me just get the timeline right. Right, mom. Mom passes. A year goes by. You start reading I conversations with God. Another year has gone by now. No. After this, no. No, okay. no, no. It was probably a month. Okay. After I read the gotcha. book and I had my spiritual awakening, I hadn't opened the studio yet. And when you say spiritual awakening, can we just define that real quick? What that means to mm-hmm. you? A complete turnaround. My head, like literally, my head cracked open. It was like I could see light from every direction and everything that weighed me down was removed. I floated on a cloud for like three months. Mm, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's almost as if the lens that you've been seeing life through was muddy the whole time and mm-hmm. it's pulled away mm-hmm. and everything becomes crystal clear and we see things for its and in color. true meaning, the mm-hmm. truth, like the love, the the oneness of mm-hmm. what's really yes. happening. Yes. And it was a feeling. Yeah. You know? It was a no. It was a feeling, but it was a, about a month after I had my spiritual awakening. I was walking down the hallway and I stopped at the studio and I opened the door, and I walked in and I sat down at the piano, and I just this song fell out. It was gifted to me by my mother, because it was from her perspective. It's called Lucky Star, and it was basically saying, "Get out there and do what I put you on this earth to do." Because when you sing, people listen. And so that 
began the next album, which was called Revelation, because it seemed like I had this What's revelation. What's the first one called? First album ever? Yes. Songs from a Rolling Black Chair. Okay, second album? Oh, we're going to go through this? I have nine albums. Oh, never mind. Okay. What about... But, okay. But Revelation was that I had a revelation. Okay. Know, the scenic route. And I still... <laughs> we're going to go through this. I have I nine see, albums. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess have, we're not, people. I have... Um, you can Google it. Right. You can. Well, it's not actually available anymore. You can't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. But you can see an evolution in my music. Definitely. Definitely, as I am was the turning point. In that's what I that's what I was trying. As to get I to. am was the was the turning point, which I we talked about before. That you know I was sitting there, I put it together, the tracks in order, and I had it on paper. And that was it. Oh, was I that knew. the one you were talking about? That, yeah, that yes. was it. I knew. I okay. knew this is. Oh, this has a purpose. Yeah. Oh, I'm not doing this just to be a singer. Oh God. <laughs> you See, know? what's very interesting if you've not seen summer performance. This is why I call it the summer Osborne experience because summer. Ah, how do we explain this? Summer will sing an amazing, beautiful, heart-centered song that just lifts you up and gives you goosebumps all over your body. And then she talks, and she speaks to her audience, and she somewhat uh, ministers to the public. She loves that word. (laughs) And, you know, it's like you're sitting in the most amazing, transformational kind of workshop, singing, songwriting, toe-tapping, crying... It's an experience to be with Summer Osborne. So, Summer, what is it that you do? We know you're singer, songwriter, performer. So, we know you travel. And you told me before that you sing in all types of religious and non-religious and spiritual and non-spiritual, whatever you want to word this, groups. Like I do. I play a lot of, uh, I play some Christian churches mm-hmm. that are open and affirming to LGBT. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that tends to make... That lends them to be a little bit more open Mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I've played a lot of Unitarian Universalist churches, which teach from all the great masters. I've played a lot of Unity churches, which have a Christian foundation, but they still believe that there are many paths Mm -hmm. to to source. Mm -hmm. I've played a lot of pagan festivals, pagan Mm -hmm. prides. I'm involved in the pagan community. I also play for atheist communities. Now, I do not consider myself exclusively one thing, but probably more inclusively all things. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I would call it, but the matter is, I play these different places, the polar opposites and everything in between, and I don't change what I say, and mm-hmm. I don't change what I sing, and I can move the Christians just as much as I can move the atheist. Now that says something to me. Absolutely. That really the, the only difference I have found in this is language. Yes. We are all talking about the same things. And somehow I've tapped into a universal language. Because the frequency of that which I speak is love. Mm-hmm. And that is a human, basic human need basic human desire absolutely and it's and it's what we're all comprised of mm-hmm. you know like neil donald walsh who is mm-hmm. the author of um conversations, conversations with, with god, god says we are deity individuated mm. yes and yes. that was that was gosh such a great term for me to hear that we're just all little individual aspects of the yeah. same universal energy Source. of truth and love mm-hmm. We're extensions. We're extensions. Yes. And so, 
And that's why when you were talking earlier about inspiration and creativity with capital C flowing through you, it's coming from that source. Mm, I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it is. It's a feeling that I have. And that, and there's so many different words for all of that, all of those things. You know, we say God, we say source, energy, you know, and I don't, the I don't know if it's talking about, I don't care if it's talking about science. I call it uni. Or, yeah, universe, right? Um, if we're talking science or uh, we'll say religion, but religion is changing. Spirituality. So, Summer, what do you think the world needs right now more than ever? Love, sweet love. <laughs> no, not just for some, but for everyone. That's Burt Backrack. <laughs> I love that. Isn't it? Well, yes, because you know Backrack, why? Or is it? Because I just watched Austin Powers and that's Burt Bacharach is in it. And he is that's, why I, that's why I said Burt Bacharach because of Austin Powers, not because I actually know. <laughs> oh, maybe that's the only reason. Because I, some somehow I see somebody else kind of seeing. I don't know. I don't know. That's but funny. yeah, what the world needs now more than anything is love. love. Try The word tribe summer has become kind of a catchphrase these days. Like it's kind of pop culture. Like my tribe, my tribe. Mm-hmm. You, your vibe, your vibe attracts, attracts your tribe. tribe. Which I think is awesome because it's a good thing. Well, uh, you know, true. And A Course in Miracles calls it Mighty Companions. Ah, yes. I love that term, Mighty Companions. Because in my opinion, those are people that you can go to that they get you. Mm-hmm. That really get you. So I know that... Tribes are very important. Can you tell me how your tribe has contributed to your path and where do you think you'd be if you didn't have one? Oh, my goodness. My tribe has... She's got a pretty cool tribe. I have an amazing tribe. (laughs) Because not only... They're more than just people who get you. They challenge you to grow. Yes. In a way that doesn't... Demean. Demean or, or deflect... Or, or trip that trigger in you. Sometimes triggers are tripped, right? Well, some, well you can't help that. that yeah. But because they are your tribe, you can work through that. You can look over that or around that, and, and you realize where you've grown. My tribe has inspired me in so many ways, one of them being Ginger Doss. She's a musician. And when I look for music to lift me up, I go to Ginger Doss. And we were playing at a Venus Festival. And she's my tribe. The, the girls were all there. I have a I have a sister where you at tribe. Mm-hmm. We're all musicians that so we don't get to see each other very much mm-hmm. unless we're crossing paths at festivals or something. But she was one of them. And I and I was so tired. I was done. I was so done. We were at the festival and I I just you know dropped my head down and was like I can't do this, which was insane because I've mm-hmm. never felt like I couldn't get on stage, right? Mm-hmm. And Ginger Doss looked at me and said, "Then don't." And I was like, "Well, that's absurd. That's more absurd than me thinking I can't do it." That I wouldn't do it. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, let spirit do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Yeah. She's like, don't do it. You don't do it. Let spirit do it. And sometimes I remember they, re- they remind me, the tribe reminds me, you can't pull from your own power. You have to pull from source. Yeah. Right? If I'm pulling from my own power, that means I think I'm separate. It means I think I'm doing this alone and it has to come from me. But we are all connected. I think for me, and also I like to add this to that, is that a tribe reminds us who we are when we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes we get a little lost too. Fear takes over. Our minds get, you know, reeling out of control about some thought or another. And our tribe can come back to us Mm -hmm. and say like, that's not you. Or you know better Mm -hmm. than this. Or 
Remember, remember this. And mm-hmm. we're, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That's that again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because they can see from, an, yeah. from a broader perspective or an outside perspective. Because when you know, when we're in the middle of an event, yeah. middle of an experience, we don't quite make the connections. We don't quite see the pattern because we're just in it, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes, you know, they can see that. And they're the only ones who can point that out to us. I know. Well, because we know it's based in love. Right. I feel like when I know somebody truly has my back and cares about my well-being, right. I will hear anything from them. And I still factor through what I'm going to use and not use, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. I can hear it. I can be open and knowing that this person really has my back and what they're saying to me right now is based in love. Yeah. Summer, it was so joyful to have you here today. I'm just Yay. jumping up and down in my <laughs> seat and they, you guys can't see us, but she can. And I wanted to let all you guys know that if you want to experience more of Summer Osborne, now today you got a little bit of insight into the artist, but I would love for you to get some insight into her work because it's amazing. It will move you. You can't listen to it without it moving you. It, you cannot shift your vibration. Wait, how am I saying this? You're, you can't not shift You can't your... not shift your vibration when you listen to Summer's music and her speaking. That's so beautiful, Kristen. Thank you. That's the best compliment oh, ever. Oh, I'm going to cry. I know. Really, I know. We're really giving. Give me a second. <laughs> Give me right? a second. Don't make eye contact. Okay, no. Okay. Don't... A little, look away. Look away. <laughs> you oh, can God. find Summer on www.summerosborne.com. That's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. There's an E at the end, people, mm-hmm. on Osborne. And... Summer is for hire for performances, musical and singing mm-hmm. performances, motivational speaking, and spiritual speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can find all about her on her beautifully constructed website that I right. was just on, and it's gorgeous, and learn more about her in her biography on that website as well. Summer, thank you so much for being no, here, and I really you. hope to do it again because yes, please. this was a get-to-know-you, but I also wanted to, like, serious where you and I dig into some... Oh, and we so, can dig. We can dig, guys. Oh, we, we can, can dig. dig. We can dig. And we're also I dig kind, it. We're also kind <laughs> of funny. And we can dig into some, you know, some really deep, spiritual questions and things that people yeah. have on their path because you know you and I have gone through a lot separately and mm-hmm. now a lot together mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. thank you so much for being here summer thank you until next time thank you everybody for listening and please feel free to like share comment do everything you want to do because call I me I want call summer <laughs> call me we want this this <laughs> we're pushing the message of love peace out